Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Many months ago on our show, we talked about what was likely to happen with banks cutting off people's lines of credit, HELOCs, uh, cutting off their credit cards without notice, reducing their credit lines, that when I talked about this back in March, it was predicting a future based on what the playbook had been of the banks during the Great Recession in 7, 8, and 9. Well, now it unfortunately has come true. According to Compare Cards, during a two-month period from mid-May to mid-July, 70 million of us got hit by a reduced credit limit on a credit card or a credit card we have was closed without notice. And this is just uncool on every level. The banks, in most cases, with nothing you've done, you haven't changed your behavior potentially at all. You could be someone whose job is still fine. But the banks, in many cases, have panicked and are punishing you in the process. So in the survey they just did, one out of every four Americans with a credit card had a card closed involuntarily by their issuer in the last 60 days. I mean, that's amazing. And then we've got all the people who had their limits reduced. So know that this is a time that requires that you be a very active manager of your credit reputation, your credit report, your score, and your cards. And what does that mean exactly? Okay, so you'll hear me over the years talk about using your back-of-the-wallet credit. A lot of times we have cards that we kind of forget about, but they figure in our mix and are a big uh, point that gives us the good scores we have. So if you have cards that have gone essentially dormant in your life, Get them out and use each of them for a very small transaction, something under $50, and then pay that bill in full and wash, rinse, and repeat, where normally I talk about using a card twice a year to keep it active. Right now, you need to, as often as you can, um, I mean, once a month may be overkill, but at least every quarter four times a year now, use those cards. Keep them active. You don't want them involuntarily closed on you because what happens is they reduce the amount of your overall available credit, which directly impacts your credit score. That portion of what makes up your credit is roughly a third of what gives you a good or bad report card for lenders deciding they want to do business with you what an insurer for auto or home will charge you, all of those factors 
So you got to be careful. And if you are exposed with only a credit card or two from one particular bank, know that in one day they could really mess your financial life up by saying, you know what? We don't want to do business with that person anymore. So we're closing their account or where they got two cards with us. We're closing both of them. So it is essential that if you are exposed like that with your credit being from only one bank, go get another card. The best cards out there, especially for people who run balances, are the credit cards issued by credit unions. And the start gap between the deal you get from a credit union and the deal you get from a bank is growing even larger today with the advantage of being in a credit union, the biggest I think I've ever seen. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns, and Kim, it's your turn. All right, this is from Charlene in California, and Charlene says, I've heard you mention that you read 25 to 30 financial news slash media articles per day. Which financial news and media sources do you consider most informative and unbiased? I'm willing to pay for a subscription, but I wanted to ask your opinion first. So uh, on the bias thing, you know, every uh, everybody has some way they write a writing style. It doesn't necessarily equate to bias, but I actually read more than two dozen publications a day. In terms of financial my first go-to is the Financial Times of London. It is what the Wall Street Journal used to be, a thorough, comprehensive, very well-written guide to business, industry, and finance. And it's the best source that's available to me every day. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out on Sundays. But the Financial Times is it. You can subscribe online only, or in some parts of the country, you can get the physical paper. I'm so obsessed with the FT that I get it, both the physical paper and I have an online subscription. They're separate subscriptions. Um, second, I do read the Wall Street Journal every day. I read Market Watch every day. I read Bloomberg every day. And then every Saturday, I read Barron's Magazine. For people that are into finance, and investing, Barron's is the best financial publication that is in the marketplace. And so that is the core of my financial reading. Now, general reading, every day I read the uh, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, USA Today, um, Kansas City Star, the uh, Post-Intelligencer, the Orlando Sentinel, the Houston Chronicle, the Sun Sentinel paper from, uh, it's called the Florida Sun Sentinel now, the New York Post, the Dallas Morning News, the Detroit Free Press, and then uh, I read Kiplinger's news alerts every day and read that magazine every month. So that's kind of a, a uh, overall picture of what I read in traditional publications. And then I read a lot of very pointy-headed 
ultra-boring trade journals. So <laughs> I've always said I'm a very dull man, and I think I just proved it. Joel? Yeah, next question. Do you have time for anything else in life? That's a lot of reading. <laughs> you know, when I get my eyes examined each year, um, my eyes deteriorate a little every year, and I think it's because of the amount of time I'm looking at screens reading and reading physical newspapers and publications. I bet, man. Jeez. All right, let's get on to the next question. Josh in Georgia says, my fiance and I have been using a giant monster mega bank for years and we're in the process of dumping them for better rates. I'm a USAA customer and I have an online savings account through them. And I will also be getting one set up for my fiance. We're wanting your advice on how to find the best banks for our checking accounts. I can't seem to figure out if it's best to use an online bank like Schwab or to try and find a local credit union instead. We want any interest we can get from the checking account, but we also want no fees if we need to use an ATM. Also, we're looking to buy a house in the next few years, and I didn't know if getting in with a credit union now would be better for us when it comes to mortgage shopping down the road. Well, that's a lot of objectives. So first, interest rates that you can earn on checking accounts were important for years. At least for now, that's not really important as interest rates collapse in the economy. But Uh, For investors, having a checking account with one of the discount brokers is a great idea. Fidelity has the cleanest of them all, where your idle cash automatically is swept into a nice interest-earning account. With Schwab, you have to manually move your money in-house, but it's available for you to get on idle money in your Schwab checking account To get a decent rate, it just requires more work than Fidelity requires. But in both cases, there's no fees for anything. They just offer a straight-out clean deal. Um, If you want, if you're not a real investor and you want to earn what you can, go with one of the online banks because that's where you'll make the most money with a checking account. USAA that you're with has a fantastic bank. Um, but they are not really big on paying interest. They're big on avoiding fees. So if you have substantial money that you have on deposit, as great a bank as USAA is for avoiding the fees, they're not a great place for earning money on your money. Um, As far as credit unions, it varies from credit union to credit union. I want everyone who's not already a member of a credit union to join one because they're so overwhelmingly superior to traditional banks. And it just varies, again, by credit union if they're about keeping fees down or offering great deals for savers and for people with checking accounts. So I think I'd look around. And yes, credit unions, at least today, are dominant in providing the best deals on mortgages in the country They're not always going to have the best deal, but credit unions tend to offer much better deals on mortgages, especially compared to bigger banks. Kim? Ricky in Tennessee says, I'm retired from one of the big three automakers and saying that I get an employee discount from them on a new car. Some cars have bigger discounts than others, depending on what's selling at the time. I've never heard you mention whether or not this is a good deal or not for automaker retirees and if I should take it. The only way you know if you're getting a good deal under one of the 
Um, you know, they do lots of times employee only. Other times they'll do employees and friends where you're able to refer so many people for the employee pricing is to compare it to what kind of pricing you'd get elsewhere from one of the, the buying sites or uh, particularly look at Costco if you're a Costco member. Costco has the most influential membership base of any uh, organization in the United States, and they have a more affluent one. And so their car buying program is one that people love with the prices you get. And it's possible that through a third-party car buying program like the Costco one, you could potentially get a lower price than you would through the car buying program that's available to you as a retiree from that automaker. So I would check to see cross-validate. And if the Costco price is more than what you can get as an employee, as a retiree, then almost certainly the best price you're going to find is that retiree program that is available to you. So car buying is an industry going through dramatic change right now and the way we buy vehicles is going to steadily change where more and more of the pricing information is going to be available to us instantly or nearly so. Laurie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello Laurie. Hi there, how are you? I'm doing great, I hope you are. I am, <laughs> thank you. Laurie, how may I be of service to you today? I inherited, I guess you should say, a Roth IRA account from my ex-husband from our divorce three years ago. And it's just been sitting there. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's not huge or anything, but I haven't touched it because I just, there was no reason for me to touch it at the time. And maybe there still isn't. Ultimately, I suppose the best thing that I could have been doing is putting a little money into it here and there, but my ex took care of all the finances, so I was I'm very not aware of lots of things over to, over the years. Um, but you I sure are being hard on yourself. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. But I received a, a letter in the mail just last week, and I guess it's coming up for a renewal. And I have a couple house repairs, not huge, but it would help, but if not. So I wasn't sure, should, do I leave it and never touch it and try to add when I can? Can I take something out without being completely penalized? It, it, it stated that I have a 10-day grace period if I was to change or redeem Oh, it so is. are you telling me the so, Roth IRA is at a bank? Yes. Oh, you never yes. want a Roth IRA at a bank. So you okay. want to have them with an investment organization where over the years, the many years, you can have the money grow and build for your future. I hate to ask a, a woman this, but how old are you? I'm 57. Okay. So at 59 and a half, you're allowed to spend that money completely penalty-free. There's no tax, nothing like that. If you spend it before then, you can spend money that's been contributed to it, but no earnings, and you'll avoid tax. So 
considering uh, what is available to you and the need to do repairs to the house, and especially because the Roth is in a bank where I don't want it to be anyway, uh, if you want to take some of that money and use it to do the repairs to your house, go ahead and do it. Just know, don't spend all that money. You got to know how much of that money that was was sent your way is money that is contributions versus earnings. Do not touch the earnings. And if you want to, that won't leave a lot of the money left. You can renew that at the bank, but pull out the base amount, the original contributions to do those repairs. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. So we need to talk about something. AT&T is one very troubled corporation. AT&T, which used to be such a well-respected, efficient company, has become a mess. And the customer service issues are really rotten, terrible. And AT&T has been losing customers from so many of their business lines in steady numbers. AT&T made a really terrible purchase decision several years ago and spent $50 billion buying DirecTV just on the cusp of when nobody wanted their satellites anymore. And so people have been disconnecting in big numbers. Their newest quarterly numbers just came out, and they were really nasty for the satellite business. They referred to in a Wall Street Journal article as the ailing satellite business of AT&T. They lost, crazily, just under a million premium TV subscribers. In 90 days? That can't possibly be true. Could they really have lost that many? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Listen to this. They had 25 million customers two years ago. Now they have 18 million. The business is crumbling. And so every phase, AT&T's wireless service, losing people. AT&T's... video programs that you stream, losing subscribers. And then AT&T's satellite collapsing in its subscriber accounts. You know what happens in a case like this? If you are loyal, you get punished for that loyalty. As a company like AT&T carrying massive, massive debt tries to deal with that debt, and deal with declining subscriber numbers, those who stay, pay. And be prepared to be hit with higher costs for your loyalty. So know that's the situation. Know that they are a company that is, uh, the polite way that a financial analyst would say, is in transition. So do you want to be the one who gets buzzsawed in their transition? I don't think so. So when you get a notice that in order to serve you better, they're raising your prices, that's when for whatever services you get from AT&T, that's when you go look and see what's available elsewhere that could almost certainly be 
a better deal. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating. And who do we got? Clark, we got a question from Iman in Connecticut. And uh, they say, my 11-year-old son saved $1,000 doing chores, mostly mowing the lawn. How should he be investing it? Are there any Vanguard accounts that you suggest in particular? What, what do you think? Well, first, congratulations. That's really, really wonderful that he saved the $1,000 because that does open up Vanguard as a possibility. Um, the fund that I like with an initial 1000 is the Vanguard Star Fund. The star in one fund is a highly diversified investment and it gives your 11 year old a chance to learn about investing because with the vanguard star you're able to get information about what it's invested in and you get to see the the mix and start to understand what is a good mix in a portfolio what should you be looking at it's a middle risk fund and the money you have is invested in all different kinds of things, 10 different components of investing, international investing, U.S. investing, um, some bonds, a variety of things that give you the ability to teach the core principles of investing to a preteen, and at the same time they can watch what happens with their money over time. The only problem with doing the STAR is that if um, your son ultimately is taxed after a certain amount of money at your tax rate, if you are a higher income earner, the tax treatment of the STAR fund is not the greatest the way the portfolio is built. As an alternative, I would look at the Fidelity Zero Fund, the Fidelity uh, Zero Total Stock Market Index Fund that has extremely favorable tax treatment and owns little pieces of thousands of U.S. company stocks. Either would be a great choice. The advantage of the Fidelity Zero, zero cost, zero, none. Kim? Speaking of 11-year-olds, Sandy in Georgia is looking for a mattress for her 11-year-old grandson. She doesn't want to spend a fortune, but she'd like to get a nice one, and she's wondering if you have any suggestions. So I have a big bias towards the night therapy mattresses that Sam's Club sells. I think Amazon might sell night therapy as well. Um, the night therapy brand is one that comes in a variety of styles and they start at a couple of hundred dollars and many of the night therapies come as combinations where they come with a, a modified version of a box spring and the mattress all in one so if you need both a mattress and a box spring or you need a uh, you need the whole kit and caboodle with the frame and all that the night therapy brand is one that I can highly recommend to you. Um, it's They come in all, I don't know if they come in twins, but they come in full queens and kings. And it is a brand that is a very, very affordable option. Another thing is that um, Sam's Club has just started selling its own 
its own beds and has a number available starting at $299 for their mattresses and a box. All of these, the Night Therapy and the Sam's Club Private Label Members Mark mattresses, they come compressed and you follow the instructions, open them up, and they just take shape right before your eyes. Joel? Clark Evelyn in Texas says, recently on your show, you answered a question about how risky Venmo and Zelle are for transactions with strangers. I'd hope you would explain why, though, because I use Venmo to collect uh, fees from potential tenants and rents from current tenants. So can you please expand on the vulnerabilities of these two platforms, and would it be safer to use something like PayPal? So... There's no risk for you as the landlord. And Joel, as a landlord, do you ever use Venmo or use a different platform? I I usually use Venmo and Cash App, yeah. So you do use those. Yeah. So for you as the recipient, as a landlord, there's no risk at all. And for somebody who's in a lease with somebody and you're paying rent that way, that is somebody known to you. I'm not as freaked out about somebody using Venmo that way. The issue comes, let's say you buy something from someone who's a stranger. You buy something from them on Craigslist or whatever. Or um, a lot of times there'll be scamsters selling stuff on a platform on Facebook or they may be on eBay trying to sell something. And then they ask you to pay with Venmo or Zelle. The warning sign there is you have no way to get your money back if you get scammed by a stranger but in a case where a tenant is paying you uh, you got nothing to worry about and because that's your tenant and the tenant knows you there's very little to worry about in that particular scenario either kim Kathy in Florida says I was one half of a gay couple that never got married but bought a home together as thing as things went the relationship didn't work out and I moved out I'm sorry I know it's been some time and she's still in the house both of our names are on the mortgage and I don't know what my options are she's not cooperating and I think it would probably be a good idea to sell the home while homes are doing so well a good idea for you not for her so I mean, that's the problem is that you have all downside risk and your former partner has all the upside here and i'm gathering there was no pre-written agreement of any kind i think in a case like this you definitely need to go see a family practice attorney and see what rights you might have under state law in the state of florida to deal with what is an unfair arrangement with you being on the hook for a mortgage that you're getting no benefit of. And that's why with any real estate transaction, when a couple is not married, having a pre-existing written agreement is really, really important to deal with the unexpected. It's hard to do that when you're in love, but uh, when that's no longer the case it becomes messy what you want ultimately is to be able to compel your former partner to refinance that property in her own name and with her own mortgage or to sell and completely relieve you of that obligation and that's why you need to seek the help 
of a family practice attorney. And I'm sorry you're going through that. Joel? Clark Patty in Georgia says, I have several credit cards that I don't use. When I try to close these accounts, I often get messages saying that closing these accounts are going to hurt my credit score. Is that true? And if so, why? It is true. And here's why. So it would hurt you two different spots in what makes up your credit profile. The uh, most important thing is 30% of what makes up a credit score is how much of your available credit you're using. And you want that percent to be as low as possible and never more than 30%. So if you close accounts, what happens is you remove what I call headroom. You have less and less total available credit, which lowers your credit score by raising the percent of the credit you still have that you're using. So you don't want to do that. And it also ultimately will affect the aging of your accounts, which is a smaller factor in the mix of your credit. So older accounts are best kept open in order to preserve your credit reputation. Kim? Judith in California says, in today's economic situation, is it best to purchase or lease a car? There's almost no situation that leasing is a good idea. There are really only two. One is if you like new wheels all the time, and then doing a two-year or three-year lease is okay. It's not necessarily a great financial decision, but it's okay. The other would be if there's a special factory-subsidized lease from the manufacturer itself, not from a dealer. That would be a case. Otherwise, buy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Gary, you have a financial dilemma that you're trying to figure out the best course of action. Tell me, because everything you've got on your plate are good alternatives. Tell me what's up. I've got the money in my 401k to pay off my mortgage, and it's currently with Vanguard, and uh, I have pensions enough with my Social Security and my pensions to live comfortably as it is without doing anything with it. So your uh, 401k is surplus funds for you month to month between pensions and uh, Social Security and whatever else. Right, it's it's over the top of that. I don't need I don't need to draw on that if I don't need to. And what I'm wondering is, it, should I pay off my mortgage and uh, take the money that I have been paying on my mortgage and go ahead and invest that in something that's going to be more, you know, make some money on? 
I, I've got about a three and a half percent loan on my house. So and we owe uh, about uh, I don't know a hundred thousand uh, or something. You owe a hundred thousand left. Okay. Yeah. So it's really psychologically fantastic to be mortgage debt free in retirement. As a practical matter, for most people, it's essential. And it's sad, but people hit retirement age in America today uh, with a majority now going in with significant debts. In your case, your financial picture is really sunny. You have a pension, which is a rare bird today, and you have enough funds coming in each month to pay for that mortgage, pay for your living costs and all the rest, and then the 401k just kind of sits there. So right. it's tempting to take a hundred grand from the 401k and zero out the mortgage. Except you generate tax on that hundred grand. Correct. And so my attitude is can I ask how old you are? I'm I'm just sixty five. My wife's a couple years older. All right. Uh, My preference is keep paying the mortgage as you're doing. Three and a half percent is a very low carry cost. Let the 401k have years in front of it to continue to grow. And then this is really useful for you and your wife. And if you pass away and she's still living, having access to those funds down the road as inflation and medical expenses may rise is really useful. At age 72, you're going to have to start doing required minimum distributions from that 401k anyway, which makes it a form of reverse dollar cost averaging. If you've ever heard me talk about dollar cost averaging, Uh where you lower the risk of money going in by putting money in every month, you lower the risk at the other end with money coming out by having money coming out every month instead of in a lump, you know, big lump sum. So my preference would be is uh, psychologically pleasing as it would be to wipe out that mortgage. I just wouldn't advise it in your case. And okay, if you, that, because if you, my wife brought this up. She's she's got this thought that if we pay off our mortgage, we're going to be way better off. And I told her I I don't think so, uh, but I want to get the I want to get advice on it before. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see it in this case. And I did want to ask you one question. If you sure. do pass away before your wife, does she continue with the same pension benefit that you have? Yeah, I set it up that way. So she's a hundred percent hanging. Great. Yeah, she's a hundred percent. Great. So she's going to be set. You are set, and that's why the four hundred one k is almost like an insurance policy for long life. And that's why I'd leave it be and use your RMDs as a way to steadily whittle away at that money. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.